Hey, podcasters, it's uh, Monday, and we have a comrade update. Yes, good news from the Western Front, comrades. We'll get into that. Also, Steve Dace joins us. There's this great video. I posted it up at glenbeck.com of Michael Galertner and a couple of other really, really big, respected eggheads who were talking about Darwinism and the days of Darwinism. It's over. It's over. Now will science recognize it? Also, we began uh, part one in, I think, a four-part series this week on the economy. Who broke the economy? Is America truly the the last best hope for mankind? Boy, you will not believe the stats on that. And China's, no pun intended, Trump card. Information on the economy all this week uh, that you really need to hear in the podcast. If you listen to the radio show or the podcast, that will be... Uh, hour number two all this week. Don't miss it. Also, Trump, Macron at the G7 summit, the future of, uh, of, of 5G. Also, <clears throat> cows that are being raped, not by men, but by other cows. So finally, somebody's talking about it, and that's us on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Yes, my dear comrades, we have almost, almost reached the fundamental transformation of the United States. Oh, sing it out. Sing it out. Mm-hmm. Yes, the climate crisis is the final icing on the cake. Yes, American standards have changed. Americans' morals have changed. Their values have changed. They now prefer security over freedom. Yay! (laughs) They now want free stuff from the state. Yay! Oh, comrades, it's been a long, tiresome road. We thought this was all in our past back in 1990, but no, 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 no. The scientific community, according to Bernie Sanders, is telling us in no uncertain terms that we have less than 11 years to transform our energy system away from fossil fuels to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. Except they're not saying that, but... In fact, they're specifically saying, stop saying that we're saying that. You really (laughs) need to be rounded up. If we're going to leave this planet healthy for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren, for future generations, Bernie Sanders says as rising temperatures and extreme weather create health emergencies... Drive land loss, displacement, destroy jobs, threaten livelihoods. We must guarantee health care, housing, and a good-paying job to every American. Yay! Especially to those who have been historically excluded from economic success. Thank you. So he has a plan. And here's his plan. It's only going to cost us... 16 trillion dollars. Yay! <laughs> kind of. 
He says he's going to reach 100% renewable energy for electricity and transportation by no later than 2030. Wow. Wow. 11 years? 11 years. Nice. Uh, 100%. 100%. Renewable energy. Wow. For transportation, too. Well, it's already up to 7%. How much tougher can it be? (laughs) (laughs) Ending unemployment. Yay! Yay! He's going to end unemployment uh, by 2030 because he's going to create 20 million jobs to solve the climate crisis. These jobs will be good paying. There'll be union jobs with strong benefits and safety standards in steel and auto manufacturing. We're going to have cars still? Construction, energy efficiency, and retrofitting, coding, server farms, renewable power plants. We will also create millions of jobs in sustainable agriculture. (gasps) The government is going to get their hands into farming. Yay! It always works out so well when they start screwing around with the farms and the food. We'll also create uh, millions of jobs in engineering, reimagined and expanded civilian conservation corps, so we can go back to what FDR did and preserving our public lands. He'll also have direct investment at historic $16.3 trillion public investment. It's the New Deal and what they did in World War II, but with an explicit choice to include black, indigenous, and other minority communities who were systematically excluded in the past. A just transition for workers. This plan will prioritize the fossil fuel workers who have powered our economy for more than a century and have too often been neglected by corporations and politicians. We will guarantee five years of all workers' current salaries. Yay! Housing assistance, job training, health care, pension support, and priority job placement for anyone displaced. As well as early retirement for support for those who choose or can no longer work. Wow, this is going to be a lot less than $16 trillion. You said it. Yeah. Comrades declaring climate change a national emergency. We must take action to, to ensure a habitable planet for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren. And we will do whatever it takes to defeat the threat of climate change after we declare a national emergency. Yay! Saving Americans' family, uh, f- families' money by weatherizing all American homes. It will lower the energy bills, uh, bills, building affordable and high-quality modern transportation. What could that be? Horses? Providing grants and trade-in programs for families and small businesses to purchase high-efficiency electric vehicles and rebuilding our inefficient and crumbling infrastructure, including deploying universal, affordable, high-speed Internet. Finally. Finally. Yes. You're going to be able... All mothers are going to be able to have (laughs) high-speed Those who have been struggling (laughs) because they can't surf the web like they like. 
Supporting false small family farms by investing in ecologically regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Thank God, because you know, you know what the farmers hate is anything that helps the soil. They have yeah, they don't not want that. Been, they don't want they that. have not been doing right by the soil. <laughs> you know, they like to they like to plant something that does not regenerate. Right. They like to plant something that so that it grows nothing for them the next year. Right. They just want that they one just, year's worth of crops. That's all they're asking and then they're done. for. Those bastards. <laughs> this plan will transfer all of our farms oh, to man. fight climate change Good. and provide sustainable local foods. Mm-hmm. And break the corporate stranglehold on farmers and ranchers. You know, there's nobody that hates corporate farming as much as I do, and I mean that sincerely. But it did feed an awful lot of people. Just billions. So Only billions. Let's make sure we just get rid of all those corporate farms in 10 years. Wow. What's the worst that could happen? Justice for frontline communities. Especially under resource groups, communities of colors, Native Americans, people with disabilities, children, mm-hmm. the elderly, to recover from and repair for climate impacts, including through a $40 billion climate re-justice, uh, justice resiliency p- fund and providing those frontline and fence line communities just a just transition, including real jobs, resilient infrastructure and economic development. Bernie Sanders also wants to commit to reducing uh, emissions throughout the world. So it's mm. not just going to be here. Mm-hmm. We're going to donate $200 billion to the Green Climate Fund. Oh, good. Yeah. Finally. Finally. We will meet and exceed good. our fair share of global emissions reductions. Make, we'll make massive investments in research and development. Expand the climate justice movement. Invest in, con, uh, in conservation in all public and private lands. And the good news wow. here, it will all pay for itself in this no longer free market uh-huh. in just over 15 years. <laughs> Comrades, we have made it. Yay! Holy cow. Wow. Wow. We'll get into that and uh, what all of that means coming up in uh, just a second. Also, hey, don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. We'll talk about that coming up in a second. How's your gut feel on the economy, Stu? Or Pat? Uh, You know, I I think we're teetering on the edge. Do you? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, what's really weird is, um, you know how I've always had the promptings of, uh, ah! mm-hmm. I've had that kind of feeling. Yeah. Uh, I don't right now. But really? I, here's what I do have, which yeah. I think is more frightening. <laughs> May not be to you, but it is to me. It's. Are you optimistic right now? Because when that happens, it usually means trouble. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm not. Here's yeah, what okay. I, here's what I am. Um. You already know what to do. Prepare. Mm-hmm. I I can't tell you anymore. Yeah. I just I get this feeling mm-hmm. of last call and no hype, no hyperbole, no you know, no panic. If you're not going to prepare, it's going to be too late soon. If you mm-hmm. haven't battened down the hat, I just everything in me is like pay off anything you can. Get out of anything that you can. 
pay your credit card debt, get just don't spend money, don't spend money, don't spend money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make sure that you're prepared in all things. Uh, do what you're supposed to do. Uh, that, to me, is more disturbing um, because it just seems uh, final, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like you and your mom was like, you got to you got to get this stuff done because school's going to start. You got to get this stuff done. You got to get this stuff done. And you messed around. And then your mom just looks at you, you know, the night before and you're like, I didn't get all that done. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. told you, told you it's too late now. Yeah. Uh, you might want to really pay attention. I'm going to give you uh, five monologues today explaining the economy. Not today. Over the week. And we're going to do it in hour two every day. And it will explain what's really happening. Today, I want to tell you something that we told you before, but now it matters. We told you that China was doing a a few different things about six months ago. And we said, this is going to be trouble down the road. Well, the road is now at trouble. And I'll explain what's really going on, something that no one in the press is talking about, and you need to understand it. That's segment one today in hour number two, and we'll do it in hour number two, a different part of the economy that you need to understand uh, every day this week in the top of hour two. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. So over the weekend, I watched something from the Hoover Institute. It was about an hour-long dialogue between a uh, a biologist, a world-renowned biologist, a world-renowned philosopher, and David Galertner uh, from Yale University, who is a world-renowned mathematician. And the subject was Darwinism for suckers. Uh, And um, Galerdner is the driving force behind this, uh, at least this part of the the news cycle on this, that nobody is paying attention. But he he was a fan of Darwin and said, I liked it. It was elegantly simple. I thought it was a good way to explain it. It was a good theory. There were parts of it that didn't work. Um, But I'm sorry to see this go, but we have to admit this is not what happened. Darwinism is done because of science and mathematics. And anyone who tells you differently is a zealot and lying. They're not honest. Well, you can imagine that there is going to be some blowback uh, on this. And I was so happy to see uh, that our own Steve Dace is is all over this story, and I wanted to bring Steve in because he probably could explain it a little bit. He's a little smarter than I am, so I thought he could explain it a little bit. Uh, he's written an article for uh, The Blaze. If you challenge Darwinism, you challenge everything about progressivism. Welcome to the program, Mr. Dace. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good to talk to you, Glenn. Thanks yeah. for having me back. You bet. You bet. So tell me how you found this uh, story. Did you just stumble across it? Um, have you watched the Hoover Institute uh, debate on this? I didn't watch the debate. I, I did read some accounts of, of what 
And it's Galetner, is that how it's pronounced? Well, uh, I, I think I mispronounce it, uh, so don't take it from me, but I've always called him David Galertner, and I've done it to his face, and he's never corrected me. But he's a really nice guy, well, so he probably wouldn't. <laughs> well, if you do the math on this, uh, there, there's, a, there's an astrophysicist, from, used to be uh, from my neck of the woods at Iowa State, and he got, he got ran out uh, at his tenure hearing because he dared to work on the, uh, uh, the Privileged Planet Intelligent Design Project. Mm-hmm. And he, he ended up delving into intelligent design because he started doing the math on this. And, and the math essentially says the odds that over a random, natural, reoccurring, purposeless, meaningless processes would result in the universe uh, on a macro level that we see, uh, the earth on, a, on a, a mini macro level that we have, and then individual life comprised of 20 trillion complex cells that each of us possess. The odds of that occurring with meaningless, random, you know, purposeless, natural occurrences, no matter any period of time, are about the odds of you taking a follicle of your hair, putting it on a tee on the dark side of the moon, and then with a driver having it land anywhere on planet Earth. Okay? Those are the odds. Okay, so, so wait, hang on just book. a second. So, so people know, you really have to read up on this. Um, and and watch this Hoover Institute. I'll, I'll put this on uh, glenbeck.com today. But it is it is fascinating because they go into uh, why this doesn't work. They explain, look, for for small things, survival of the the fittest might work. For instance, you know, your beak is, you know, a quarter of an inch longer mm-hmm. or your fur is a little thinner or whatever, that might work. And Darwin may explain minute changes, but then they get into what it takes to make one species. And the odds are astronomical that we could even have one species. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I'm always fascinated when I go here, when I step on this shibboleth of the damned, I'm always fascinated to see the responses. And so uh, several of the, some of the responses I got, Glenn, were, well, uh, this is a mathematics professor. He's not a biologist. Well, great, because neither was Charles Darwin. In fact, when he boarded the HMS Beagle, the, the infancy science that fascinated him was actually geology. All right. Uh, and then I was told, well, this guy's not a geneticist. Well, great. Neither was Darwin. In fact, Gregor Mendel, the Catholic monk credited with starting uh, genetics, Um, He wrote his first findings in 1866, so he was a contemporary of Darwin's. They never studied each other. They never even met or read each other. Uh, And then the mapping and sequencing of the human genome, which is essentially what we know about the basis of individual life and how it works, that wasn't concluded until well into the 21st century. The individual who led that project for many years, Dr. Francis Collins, is actually a theist. All right, so Darwin wasn't a geneticist either, and then we're told, so it, well, you know, this. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say that the the one of their main points is Darwin just didn't know all of the things that we do now. So we have we yeah. have the DNA codes now, which he didn't have any idea that there were even genetic codes, let alone how complex they are. So right. there's many right. things. None of them. These guys are condemning uh, uh, Darwin. They're all saying the same thing. Look, at his time, this was this was very, very bright and could have been. But as we have moved forward the last 150 years, we now know there's no way this is even logical. What you're what you just pointed out, you know, we draw this distinction on my show on a regular basis that there's a difference between liberals and leftists. 
the liberals we all got into this business to defeat uh, and argue against are just people who uh, want government to permit you to do this stuff that God says is dumb and immoral. But these new leftists that we're encountering now, these are the dogmas. These are This is the new inquisition, the new antifada. These are people that want government to compel you to do those things. And if you're not willing to, then you will be made to care. And this is now in the world of so-called science at the exact same time. What you're describing with these individuals, these are just men of honest scientific inquiry. I have no idea what their religious or philosophical beliefs are, but they're actually just following the scientific method. They're noting that we didn't get carbon dating until a full century after origin of species almost. Archaeology as a refined science wasn't recognized for another half century after origin of species. So they're just following clues and facts as they see them and letting the chips fall where they may. Well, it's also, you know, Darwin, Darwin didn't, he said in Origin of Species, which is very well argued. I think it's nonsense, but it's very well argued for the time. Um, And he says in there, he can't explain the Cambrian, the Cambrian explosion, which is a, a 70 million year period that all of a sudden you go from no life to an explosion of life overnight. Well, where did that come from? Exactly. So to me, I think there's a debate over the origin of species, and then there's a debate over the descent of man. And, and what you see in most American faculties today, I mean, Dr. Francis Collins, who led the, the Human Genome Project for many years, um, he couldn't teach earth science at most eighth grade uh, public schools in America. Once he stated he was a theist, they'd kick him out. It wouldn't allow it. Wouldn't be on a college campus. And the ridiculousness of this is this is now where we're going to take scientific inquiry and we're going to apply worldview and ethical conclusions to it. And the the ugly stuff of Darwinism that you see with the Aborigines and favored races and references to savages, you know, a lot of that is in Descent of Man, which is kind of the Hadith to to Origin of Species um, Quran, if you get the analogy. Mm -hmm. You know, we often quote the Quran for ugliness, but the real, real ugliness is in the Hadiths. And the same thing is true in the Descent of Man. So the, the philosophical premises, the Nietzsche's, the utilitarianism, the Marxes, all of those things are conclusions of where we take if – if we all agree that life is random and purposelessness, we still need an ethic. We need a mythos to define who we are and why we're here, and this is where the postmodern deconstructionists come in and say, you know what? We've got an alternative plan for you, and that's the alternative religion that these leftists will clutch and hold on to because it's their idol. Are you going to be talking about this on your show today? I'm sure it'll come up for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Steve, thank you so much. It was a great article that you wrote uh, over the weekend, and I'm glad you're on top of it. And uh, and thank you so much. Appreciate it. You got it, brother. Take care. Steve Dace. He is uh, from the Steve Dace Show, which is heard on the Blaze Radio Network right after uh, this program. His story is: if you challenge Darwinism, you challenge everything about progressivism. It is. Mm. It is. It is one of the most amazing stories scientifically of our lifetime we are now at the point when you listen to these guys now these are not schlubs i mean michael galertner is not a he's he's not just a mathematician he's one of the world uh, david Mm -hmm. he's one of the greatest mathematicians of our time um and you know he's looking at this uh just from a mathematical standpoint because one of the guys who said hey maybe we should look at the genetic code uh as 
as an actual code. Maybe there is something to all of these little things we see, you know, in the microscope. Maybe there is something that's like a code. And so he started breaking it down, and then that led to the human genome, um, uh, what do you call it? A project. Project. Uh, and we have found that it is an actual code. And every gene, every piece of DNA has a code, and it's in a certain uh, particular, you know, it's like you got to add a quarter cup of flour, then you have to add the eggs, then you have to have this. And it's very different from, you know, a cake to a pie. And sometimes it's just the way you order things. And what David was saying was, it, those codes are so complex that if you took a string of, let's say, pearls, and it wrapped, it was a long string of pearls that would go down to your belly, and it could wrap around mm. your neck 15 times. The genetic code for each of us and every animal is the equivalent of saying, okay, this one has to be a ruby, then a diamond, then two pearls, then an amethyst, and then whatever, uh, you know, a piece of coral. And they have to be in the right place. He said, even with all of the time that we have, it doesn't work. And it also doesn't work with the Cambrian explosion. So he's, he's saying, look, the, the code doesn't work. And then the biggest thing that I, I thought was they were explaining how if you're going to change an animal from one animal to another, you don't do it at the end. So in other words, you don't change a zebra to a cow at the end because the first DNA strand is that of a zebra. The first DNA strand is that of a cow. And then you build it off of that. If you take the genetic code of a zebra, it won't have the bone density. It won't have the structure. It won't have the internal systems that a cow has. So the, you can't do it too late because then it's just a, you know, it's like a horse and a donkey become a mule. If you do it too late, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. If you do it too early, which you must do, the entire structure falls apart. It is a fascinating conversation, a little heady, but mm -hmm. everybody should know it because it, I, I believe this is the beginning of the real undoing of not only this, this nonsense of, of just an explosion and things kind of flew together like monkeys at a typewriter yeah. uh, and, uh, and changes, as, as Steve points out, all of the Marxist theories they all go away if this goes away. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, so I want to, uh, there's a lot of people saying, oh, thanks, uh, Donald Trump, for wrecking the, the Obama uh, economic policy growth and all the great things that we had. 
there's a lot of blame going around for the economy, and there's going to be a ton more. So I want to start. I'm going to take you three places today. Who broke the economy and how they broke it? What's really going on? Then, how the rest of the world views us. And it's shocking. We truly are the last best hope for mankind. And I can tell you that because I'm going to show you how countries are putting their money where their mouth is. Or actually, their money where their mouth isn't. They can talk America down. But boy, oh boy, they have a lot to lose if we fail. And then I want to share something about China that is really critical for you to understand. I call it the Trump card that no one knows anybody is holding. First, let's start with the economy. From America's heartland, we see the headlines telling us farm and bankruptcies have reached levels not seen since the farm crisis in the 1980s. And in some states, more than 80% of farms are now facing bankruptcy. This is a real problem. This was one of the mainstays and the, 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 one of the spines, if you will, or several of the vertebrae in the spine of the Trump election. Farmers. More than 20 American cities, virtually all of them Democratic strongholds, have a homeless crisis that have reached epidemic proportions. While at the CDC, they are now having to dust the textbooks to figure out how to deal with outbreaks of typhus and cholera, tuberculosis, measles, polio, and the bubonic plague. Progressivism has taken us to the Stone Age. Since 2012, 95% of the wage and income growth is concentrated at the top 5% wealthiest households. Same is true with corporations. While 75% of the Fortune 500 companies have shown income growth since 2014, more than 60% of small business owners have reported shrinking incomes. That's Main Street. Also not good for the president. While the Fed and Uncle Sam report that we're enjoying full employment, 100 million American adults are still not in the labor force. Around the world, nearly all sovereign bonds issued by uh, governments now have a negative yield, which I'll explain in a minute, including Germany, France, Japan, Italy, Belgium, Switzerland, the UK, Brazil, and South Africa. Even when adjusting for population growth, student debt, corporate debt, Credit card debt, government debt are now all at all-time highs. Something is broken, and many of us are holding our breath and hoping that things are going to be okay because we have some positive things happening. But there are others all around the world that want this economy to fall apart. Something's broken. So now where do we put the blame? Well, Trump broke it. Mm -hmm. He cut taxes while dramatically increasing government spending, sending our deficits and debt to levels that exceeded the worst of the Obama years. And he has put tariffs on more than 40% of the goods imported into the United States, which makes things more expensive for the average person. But then again, maybe it was Obama and the Democrats distorting more than 20% of the U.S. economy with Obamacare sending health care costs soaring and making millions off of student debt uh, by making people into serfs 
by using federal student loans as a piggy bank to fund health care exchanges. Or maybe it was the Fed in Wall Street who created the housing crisis with ultra-low interest rates after the dot-com bubble and by turning the mortgage industry into a speculation, a futures market with collateralized debt obligations. But maybe it was Bush too. I mean, Bush too, he got us into two forever wars in the Middle East, costing the taxpayers more than a trillion dollars and resulting in, what, negotiations with the Taliban? Couldn't we have done that in 2003? Iraq and Afghanistan are both still in shambles. Syria is still run by Assad. Iran is currently seizing oil tankers at will in the Gulf. And our will to fight is at an all-time low. But maybe it was Clinton. Because Clinton is the guy who federalized Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in a bid to help poorer Americans who couldn't afford down payments to gain, to gain the access to the American dream and home ownership, resulting in millions of Americans living in homes they couldn't pay for when unemployment spiked. Of course, then again, it was probably Reagan's fault. Because Reagan implemented a successful program to end the Cold War, but he did it by outspending the Soviets in a military buildup, but in turn sent the budget deficit soaring for the first time. <sighs> but I don't like to blame us, so let's look to the Saudis, because it was probably the Saudis who in the 1960s colluded with the U.S. to create the petrodollar, forcing all nations to pay for oil only in U.S. dollars, trapping all, all nations around the world against their will onto the U.S. dollar standard, so long as the House of Saud controlled OPEC. Or it could be Nixon. Nixon, who took America and the world due to the Bretton Woods Agreement, which tied all global currencies to the U.S. dollar, off the gold standard in 1971. That way we could have a never-ending cycle of credit expansion and inflation, and that's what really pushed the world to economic disaster. Or it could be Johnson who said, we'll spend our way out of poverty. We'll make sure that no child is ever poor. Our federal debt today is about $23 trillion. We have spent on this war on poverty, coincidentally, about $23 trillion, and nothing has changed. Then again, it could be Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson, they created Medicare, Social Security, farm subsidies, unemployment insurance, three programs which together consume over 70% of all federal tax revenue, turning America into the largest and costliest welfare state in the history of the world. We spend more than the Soviet Union did with a total cost of $2.5 trillion per year. Now, nah, we got to go back further. Who destroyed it? It was probably at the creation of the Federal Reserve when Congress formally abdicated its constitutional responsibility to maintain and defend the nation's money supply, gold and silver. Instead, handing control of our monetary system and currency to a cabal of private banks, which we still don't know which ones they are, and bankers who shifted the U.S. and the world to a fiat currency system. I mean, I could go on, but I think you see the dilemma. What ails the U.S. and the global economy is not Trump's tariffs, though they are a bad idea, in my opinion. 
It's not the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. It's not the bank and corporate bailouts of 2009 that papered over the financial crisis with ever-increasing unpayable debt. It's all of these things. It's 100 years of misadventure through progressivism in foolhardy policy failures. Evaluating each one in a vacuum can make it seem like it was a good idea at the time. But when you examine it as a connected series of events in context, what do you get? You get a clear picture of policy decisions that made an eventual global financial crisis a matter of unavoidable inevitability. Period. So who broke the economy? Well, if we're going to be honest and we're going to talk about what's coming and how to fix it, we all have to stop the finger pointing and say we all did. In one way or another, we all did. Our grandparents, our parents, and us. And now your kids will break it even further by doing more of the very thing that started us along this misadventure in the first place. More government intervention, more central planning, more socialism. That's the root of it. If you look at the entire litany of poor policy decisions that have brought the world once again to what many believe is the brink of economic disaster and possibly world war, the seed of which sprouted the poisonous tree was the idea that the natural self-organizing and self-correcting economic cycle ever present in a free market economy should be controlled by directors and government bureaucracies. And as usual, more government will not be the right answer, but it will be the one I believe even Republicans will clamor for in the coming storm. That's exactly what we can expect the experts to try yet again. What is the definition of insanity again? Here's why we must not do that. America, the last best hope for mankind, truly, and the numbers explain it. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I'd like to have some laughs at the expense of Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden had an interesting weekend. Uh, I, uh, you know, he starts with an interview uh, where there's no audio of it. It was a magazine interview. Yes, people apparently still read them or Hmm. at least they write them. Um, And uh, he said, you know what? If you have a problem with my age, don't vote for me. Done. (laughs) Done. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if That's you great. should, you know, <laughs> we say that. Probably not. But yeah. Don't. That's almost like his his wife's thing last week where, if, you know, if I know there's a lot of other better candidates than Joe with that better policies amazing. than Joe. Uh, but, but, you know. Who can win? Who can win? Joe can. I don't think Joe can. <laughs> I don't think I so I mean, either. Joe has, I've never felt this way, and I would not say this just a dog pile. I'm not going to dogpile on this guy. I would not, Mm -hmm. I would, you know, if you still have all your faculties, I think the wisdom of age is really critical. 
But not everybody keeps their fat. I mean, I know somebody who is, what, 91, 93 years old, and that guy is, you can't keep up with him. You can't, I mean, he's clear thinking. He's just moving at 100 miles an hour. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a problem with somebody who's in their 70s and starting to sound, oh, I don't know, a little like this. Here he is at healthcare. We have Joe Biden, Joe Biden with health. If you're not satisfied, you have another option, okay. high quality options. Mm-hmm. The public option will be available in my plan. We'll make sure it's not a quality. We'll make sure it's only affordable. <laughs> quality is affordable. We're going to make sure it's not quality. It's only affordable. <laughs> you, what, what do you want, both, you greedy bastards? <laughs> you can't have them both. <laughs> I love Joe, it. Joe, Joe. I, I love mm, it. Stop. No. Just stop. Then he's, he's okay, he's in New Hampshire. And he's talking to a reporter about how beautiful the state is in New Hampshire. Here's what he says. I'm back. I've been here a number of times. Last time was, I think, uh, all the way back in 2014. But I've been here before that. I love this place. I love, Look, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. What a, I mean, this is sort of a scenic, beautiful yeah. town. It's New Hampshire. The mayor's been yeah. a good guy. and they've got, Everybody's been really friendly. I like Keen a lot. Maybe he's just jumping ahead to the Vermont primary right. when New Hampshire right. is number two. But, I mean, I, what is you know. what is bad to say about Vermont? No, New nothing. Hampshire, I could go off on New Hampshire. <laughs> New sucks. Hampshire is a... I mean, it just blows chunks. But what could we say bad about Vermont? <laughs> that's that's the that's the old adage Jeez. of answer the question you want to answer. Mm-hmm. What do you think of New Hampshire? You know Vermont what? Vermont is beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Everybody is so nice. Vermont. What could you say bad about Vermont? <laughs> uh, then this is just weird. Uh, this is, I, I don't know where this kind of comes By from. By the way, this is just this weekend, just yeah, so you know. All, all of this happened over the weekend. Here's Biden imagining, uh, well, he'll, he'll, he'll share it. My two political heroes were Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. My senior semester, they're both shot and killed. Imagine what would have happened if, God forbid, Barack Obama had been assassinated after becoming the de facto nominee. What, what would have happened in America? Where does that come from? I don't know, but it Who, didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen. So why would we imagine that? Ima- so what, what is the imagine, point of that? Imagine what would have happened if Ronald Reagan had a nuclear weapon in his pants. <laughs> and he just went to Kansas and blew, blew up. It. He just... What would have happened? He was gone. Oh, wow. I mean, right on, man. <laughs> I mean, what would have happened, man? <laughs> I mean, where... What was his point? I don't know. Very strange. What was it? What? Very strange. Imagine what would have happened. Yeah, well, it didn't happen. And isn't that a point in America's favor? Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, then he was describing his, his longtime friend, and ha- he had a little difficulty doing uh, again, that. Again, still this weekend. Yes. My long friend, time friend, and she's a friend. She's been my friend <laughs> in and out of public life. <laughs> My long long friend, friend, time friend, (laughs) friend, friend. She's been my friend. (laughs) My long friend. She's very long. She's also a time friend. She's a time traveler. Uh, Long maybe is the spaghettification that she was experiencing near one of the black holes, but she's a friend friend. (laughs) Listen to that again. It's awesome. This is great stuff from Joe. My long friend, time friend, and she's a friend. friend, She's been my friend friend, in and out of public life. (laughs) That's crazy. 
my long friend, time friend. So do you think friend, he's friend, trying friend. to create, uh, correct it as he goes? I think so, yeah, and he just can't. He just got into one of those, you know, time tunnels where you can't have it back. And you just wish you could. I, I wish I hadn't started this sentence, but now it's too late and I'm trying I to think correct he, it. I think he's going to get to the point to where he wishes he didn't start this campaign. <laughs> I think so, too. Because I think he really is. Way. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he necessarily wants it that much. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, and, and maybe that's where it comes, you know, his statement that if you think I'm too old, don't vote for me. That doesn't sound like a guy who really wants the nomination. If you, it sounds like a wife that really wants the nomination. Please, mm-hmm. he will come home to me. Please, I know there's lots of other quality candidates better than Joe, but please vote for him. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a desperate wife, doesn't it? It's a plea. It? It's a plea. It really is. And it yet really he's is. still way ahead of the field. He's still, you know, the last poll I saw, uh, he had 30% support in the party compared to Elizabeth Warren, who was second at 15 and Bernie Sanders had 14. So he's still doubling the field. But if he goes into full-fledged dementia before yeah, the w- election, and we have Donald Trump deba- debating a dementia patient, Oof. it wouldn't be good for the presidency, but it would be fun to watch. It would be very, <laughs> very fun. You have a lot of audio to play. It'd be great. <laughs> It'd be good for us. Yes, it would. Bad for the country. Right. Good, good for, for the us. laughs. Good for the laughs. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.